Hey guys, welcome back to the Garden Heart Podcast. This is Melissa Saccaroli, and today I have a new episode for you guys. Um, so it's actually another recording of a message that I did uh, a couple months ago, and um, it's called The Best Love Ever. So um, this message really focuses on the love of Jesus, and um, I go through John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. Um, so yeah, I really don't have much else to say, honestly, besides the fact that I kind of fell off the face of the planet for a few months. Um, so I mean, I, am sure I feel like the only people that really listen to this are probably my friends and maybe some strangers that I don't really know. Um, but if you don't know, I'm pregnant. Woo. Um, and if you're listening, you know me, you clearly know that by now, um, cause I'm 20 weeks pregnant and this message, um, I actually did in the middle of my first trimester, which was very rough. Um, So that's why I've kind of been um, not in hiding, but I kind of fell off the face of the planet for uh, three months from May to July. I was very sick from May to July and um, literally could not function at all. My energy went into my full-time job and trying to eat. <laughs> that was basically my life for three months. Um, so I'm finally starting to feel better and um, finally starting to regain my strength and um, gaining a little bit more energy these days. So I was like, okay, let's try to get back into this podcast um, and just post this episode that I, um, or not this episode, post this message that I did um, a couple months ago. So I hope you guys really enjoy it and not just enjoy it, but I hope you guys um, really get something out of it that God speaks to your heart um, because that is the most important thing that you're not getting Melissa's advice or opinions or wisdom because I got nothing for you. Um, it's the word of God that changes our lives and it's the spirit of God that transforms us. So I pray that God uses this and um, yeah, uh, let me know if you got feedback or questions or whatever. Um, yeah, you, I guess you know how to find me. <laughs> so <laughs> all right, guys, enjoy his message and I'll see you later. Because sometimes that's what you got to do. So if you would, just pray with me one more time, and then we'll jump into our message for tonight. Oh, God, I thank you so much, Lord, um, just for this evening. I thank you, Father, for the message that you've placed on my heart. And um, God, I just pray that your words would speak tonight, God. Not my own, not my ideas, not my thoughts, not my own wisdom, because it really has no power to change anybody's life. But God, your word has the power to change us from the inside out. And God, we ask that your spirit would just move in this place tonight. God, that you would do whatever you need to do in each person's heart, because that's what you do. You know each of us intimately, personally, deeply. You love us more than we could ever imagine. And God, you want to do amazing things in, in, in and through us. And I pray, God, that you would just have your way in this place. Um, I humble myself before you, God. Please use me. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in the middle of our summer series, and tonight's message is called The Best Love Ever. And when you think of the best love ever, what comes to your mind? You know, maybe for some of you, you're thinking about, I don't know, your favorite romantic comedy, a Netflix series, whatever reality shows, whatever it may be. But, you know, for us as Christians, when we think of the best love ever, the first thing that really should come to your mind is the fact that God is love. Like, so if God is love, then isn't that where the best love ever comes from? You know, doesn't that make sense? 
Um, and I feel like as Christians, you know, we need to be aware that sometimes our mindsets, our perceptions, our views on things, um, they can get tainted and warped by the world. I think this is something that, you know, for many of us, and whether you grew up in a Christian home or not, it's like sometimes your perception on love or life or just anything in this world can be tainted by the culture, can be tainted, tainted by entertainment, can be tainted by the world. And we need to be aware of these things. And obviously there are times where maybe you're not aware of everything that, that's being tainted right now, but as we follow Jesus and as we're being sanctified by him, he's going to show us the things that we see, you know, or the things that we view in this world that don't align with his word. And he wants to sanctify us. He wants to purify us. He wants to renew us in that way. And that includes love. So like I said, if God is love, and love comes from God, you know, you can see, I think I have a verse on the screen, uh, 1 John 4, 7, 8, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So there's the verse for you. So obviously, if we want to look at the best love ever, if we want to learn what is this love, not only do we need to look at God and scripture, but we should also look to the sun. Because, I don't have this on the screen, but John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known to, has made him known to us. So Jesus, when he came into the scene, he was born of a virgin, he, he lived a, a sinless life, he showed us what it meant to be in a relationship with God. Jesus is God. Jesus was God in the flesh. So when we look at Jesus and we look at different stories in the Bible, we can see what this love truly is. So that's what I want to do tonight. I want to look at a story that's in Scripture, and I want us to kind of study it, pick it apart. We're going to go through a lot of verses, and I don't apologize. In one sense, I want to be like, sorry, guys, I got a ton of verses. But in another sense, I'm not sorry, because if you want to learn about the Bible, you've got to read it in context. And there's so much background and details and, and things that you really need to study and understand to gain more substance of what, the, what this portion of Scripture is trying to tell us. Not just this portion, but any portion. So if you have your Bible, turn to John 4. We're going to look at the woman at the well. But if you don't have your Bible, it will be on the screen. So there's a bunch of verses that are underlined, um, as you could see it up there. And that's done on purpose. So the ones that are underlined, we're going to go back and we're going to relook at those. So like, if you're like, oh, no, it's underlined for a reason. What am I doing? It's okay. We're going to go back and we're going to look at them again. All right. So let's dive in. <laughs> John 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back to, once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So when he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as, also, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in, will become in them a spring of, of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Plot twist. Verse 16. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you're now, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, uh, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one who is speaking to you, am he. All right, so that was a lot. Sorry, but not sorry, like I said. Okay, so we're just going to go through some of those verses that I underlined, because when we look at the story and you really dig in, okay, just out of curiosity, how many people have heard a message on the story? Yeah, it's a popular one. Okay, but there's a lot that hasn't, so that's really good. What? My husband's doing something. Okay, he was like signaling to me. Okay, sorry. Okay, that's fine. Sorry. We're, I, I'm so comfortable. We're like family here, so it's like I don't mind like interrupting like that. Okay, fine. Um, anyways, okay, so, <laughs> so we're going to go back and we're going to look at some of these underlying verses. And you might be wondering, okay, what does this story have to do with the best love ever? Like, I have no idea. But when we dig in and we look at details, historical context, background of the story, we're going to find out that this story that we just read screams of the best love ever. It screams of an amazing love that is from Jesus. So John 4, 9. The Samaritan woman, is it up there? Oh, well, that's okay. I think the slides are be messed up. That's fine. Okay, so John 4, 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Okay, so when you look at scripture and you see something like that, ask the question, why don't Jews associate with Samaritans? Like, what's up with that? Why is that an important thing? So, once again, I have a commentary up here because, once again, when we're looking at scripture, when we're studying different parts of the Bible, we got to study. we got to look at background and historical context because it gives you more meat to understand what is happening. So take a look at this commentary. It says, When the nation of Israel spit politically, okay, there we go. When the nation of Israel spit politically after Solomon's rule, King Omri named the capital of northern kingdom of Israel Samaria. The name eventually referred to the entire district and sometimes the entire northern kingdom, which has been taken captive by Assyria in 722 BC. While Assyria left most of the populace of the ten northern tribes away into the region which is today northern Iraq, it left a sizable population of Jews in the northern Samaritan region and transported many non-Jews in Samaria. These groups intermingled to form a mixed race through intermarriage. Eventually, tension developed between Jews who returned from captivity and to the Samaritans. And then, so that's kind of like a general overview. overview. And now I have some more specific reasons on why there is so much hostility between Jews and Samaritans. So one, Samaritans were of mixed heritage with Gentiles, yet they claimed to be the true recipients of Abrahamic promises. Now this is important because Jews were God's, were, the Jews were God's chosen people. 
like Israel was God's chosen nation. They were the ones that were destined for God's blessings, for Abraham's promises, to receive all that God had for them. So imagine that you're the actual group of people that's supposed to be receiving all of God's blessings. Now imagine that there's another group of people that's basically saying, no, like we're the right people over here. I mean, come on, like if you're the actual people, you're the actual group of people that's supposed to receive God's blessings, you're not going to be too happy about that, right? So, and then another point is that Samaritans built their own counterfeit temple and adopted their own priesthood and sacrificial system, all independent of the Jewish people. So these are just two reasons. There's a lot more reasons. But when you look at commentaries and you study a little bit more, there was violence. There was hatred. There was extreme hostility between these two groups of people that lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. And here's the thing. Jesus knew about this. He knew about this history between Jews and Samaritans and how they hated each other. They didn't just, they didn't just get along, but they, they hated each other. There was this deep, violent, just like I said, hatred towards each other. So it's really important to know that Jesus, even though he knew all this, he still talked to a Samaritan woman, even though he was a Jew. So keep that in your mind. Next part, kind of jumping around a little bit. But John 4.4, 4, it says, Now he had to go through Samaria. So, this is important because we need to know, after some studying once again, there wasn't just one way through Samaria. There wasn't just one route that Jesus could have taken. There was actually multiple routes that Jesus could have went to get to his destination. And once again, when you study more, it actually says that because there's so much hostility between Jews and Samaritans, a lot of Jews avoided Samaria. They went the long way so that they wouldn't have to interact with Samaritans. Um, so there's a lot of routes that Jesus could have taken, but where it says here, where it says now he had to go through Samaria, it, some scholars, this is just kind of like a theory, but some scholars said it could be possibly referring to Jesus' divine appointment with this woman, that he had a purpose for meeting her, that he had a divine appointment to meet with this specific woman at this specific place and time. So when it says that, that he had to go through Samaria, it speaks to the fact that Jesus didn't technically have to because there's other routes, but Jesus had to because there was a very important situation that had to be met, that he had to meet with this woman, and we'll continue to find out what happens. But, I don't know, it's pretty cool. So, next verse, uh, John 4, 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So, once again... It's a verse that you're just like, okay, like this doesn't really mean anything to me, but it shows so much details and it speaks of God's love. It speaks of Jesus' love. So one, women generally came in groups to collect water either earlier or later in the day to avoid the heat. If the Samaritan woman was alone at the well at noon, it may indicate public shame. So what does that mean? I've heard people say she could have been a prostitute. That's possible because she had five husbands or like her current, the current man that she was with was not her husband. I think that's just a theory, but like even so, this woman didn't show up at noon at this well because she slept in. Like, like that's not what happened. She showed up at noon alone in the middle of the day because she didn't want to be around other people. That she had shame that she had things that she was embarrassed of, that if anything, if she was a prostitute, if she was somebody that was sleeping around, I'm sure she was the talk of the town. 
I'm sure people knew about her. I'm sure people gossiped about her. So I'm sure she was somebody she didn't want to be seen. She didn't want to be spoken to. She wanted to isolate herself and hide because she was under so much shame and guilt from the life that she's living. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe some of you in here are under so much guilt and shame and condemnation because of the life that you're living, that you don't want to be seen by anybody, that you isolate yourself, or you avoid community groups, or you avoid being around people because you don't want to be found out. Well, the good news is, it's just like Jesus knew the details of her life, he knows the details of your life, and it's not to shame you, it's not to condemn you, but it's to set you free and show you that he loves you. More points about this, how he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. The Samaritan woman was amazed that Jesus spoke to her. One, though in that culture, men didn't talk to women, especially unknown women, and especially unmarried women. It wasn't common back then. And once again, Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. Here's another fact that's fascinating. Tradition taught that taking a drink from a vessel handed by a Samaritan would make you unclean. That's fascinating. And here's Jesus, the Son of God, the purest man to ever live, is asking her for a drink. Like, and remember, Jesus knew these details. He knew what tradition said. He knew what culture said. He knew the social norms and all these different things. And he didn't care. He broke them all to show love to this woman. And here's another part. A rabbi, Jesus was a rabbi, or a religious leader did not hold conversations with women of ill repute. So it's just fascinating when it's like, once again, when you study, when you dig, when you look more into these stories and these backgrounds, it opens up this whole world of, wow, like, there's a lot more going on here than what meets the eye. So we went through a lot of stuff. And I'm sorry, I'm not sorry, once again, I keep saying I'm sorry. I'm not sorry for going through all these details. But if you want more details, feel free to catch me either tonight or next week, whatever. I like to share my notes with people. That's totally fine. So what can we learn from all of this? If we're talking about the best love ever, what can we learn about all this? Well, one, Jesus' love knows no bounds. So like I said earlier, it doesn't matter. Actually, I didn't say this earlier. I don't know if you guys realize, I'm not feeling too great, so I'm just like, but it's okay, we're getting through it. All right, so Jesus' love knows no bounds. It doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, what your past looks like, or how tainted you may be. Just like the Samaritan woman, Jesus came for you. He came to you, came for you, to offer you new life, to offer you freedom, to offer you forgiveness, to offer you a clean, fresh start, to offer you a home in heaven, to offer you just freedom and grace and so much more than anything that this world has to offer. In the story, like I said, this is what I said earlier, Jesus broke social, cultural, religious boundaries in order to show love and compassion to this woman. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes will have eternal life. This is the good news of the gospel, that whoever believes in Jesus, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how bad, quote-unquote, your past may be, it doesn't matter what you're doing right now. Like, maybe you're in here once again, and you're living a life of sin, and you're living a life you know is far from God. Here's the thing. 
Jesus has come to you. He's inviting you into a relationship with himself. He's offering you a fresh start. That offer is always on the table. He will never take it back, but you have to receive it. But no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your story is, no matter what you're doing right now, Jesus loves knows no bounds. Two, because he loves you, Jesus has done and will do whatever it takes to reach you. So first, Jesus has done everything he's done to reach you. What does that mean? Well, it means that he's already died on the cross for your sins. He's already lived the perfect sinless life that he needed to. He's died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. He sent his spirit into the world to anybody who believes in him. That's already been done. He's already done the work that needs to be done to reconcile you back to God. But like I said, you need to receive that gift if you haven't already. And he will do whatever it takes to reach you. And now this is going to look a little different for all of us, because obviously when we look at a story like this, maybe sometimes you can be like, oh, like, man, I wish I was this woman, like, you know, having a one-on-one personal conversation with Jesus. Like, that's pretty cool, you know? Like, but, you know, I was thinking about this on the way here, and I was being reminded how Jesus told his disciples that it was better that he went away. Like, and obviously the disciples didn't understand that, because it's like they're seeing him do miracles, they're seeing him cast out demons and raise people from the dead and heal people from sick and all these different things. And Jesus is saying that it's better that he, he goes away? Like, what does that mean? But obviously, as we know, when he went away, his spirit has been made available to all of us. So obviously, as we're following Jesus and as we are on this journey with him, like, we're not going to have... I mean, if you do, call me, but it's like, we're not going to have face-to-face, one-on-one conversations with him, like, in physical form. But like I said, if that happens, you call me, because that'd be amazing. But for us, it's going to look a little different, where he's going to intervene in our life in different ways, and he's going to use circumstances and situations to get our attention, and he's going to allow certain things to happen or not happen to you in order to maybe shake you and wake you up a little bit in order to, like I said, get your attention so that you surrender your life to him. And then three, the best love ever, it doesn't feel good at times, but it changes you for the better. Now I'm going to reread these, these uh, two verses really quick. So John 4, 17 to 19. It says, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And she's like, Sir, you're a prophet. (laughs) She's like, Oh, shoot. (laughs) He found me out. Okay. So this is really interesting, because this woman was so fixated on physical water. She was so fixated on the fact that, Okay, this man is offering me living water. I really want this water so I never have to come back to this well again. And if anything, I wonder if she was thinking, hmm, if I never have to come back to this well again, maybe I have more reasons to hide. Or maybe I don't have to come here and be seen. I wonder. That's just kind of something that came to mind right now. But she wasn't getting what Jesus was saying, clearly. So instead of, you know, going, (laughs) Jesus didn't go along with this, like, water that she was referring to, he got to a very intimate detail of her life. He addressed and called it out, obviously because he knew it, because he's the son of God, but he called out a very intimate detail of her life that he knew, and he confronted her sin, and he confronted her depravity, but in love. 
Now, here's the thing. Like I said, the best love ever doesn't feel good at times, but changes you for the better. Jesus will confront your sin. He will confront your idols. He will confront the darkness that you're living in. Living in. As you follow him, as you're surrendered to him, as you're walking with him day by day, Jesus will, because he loves you, not because he's trying to harm you, not because he's trying to make your life miserable, even though it's, it feels miserable in the moment, because we love our sin. Honestly, right? We've made friends with it. We love it. It's comfortable. It's, it's things that we serve. It's things that we live for. And Jesus will confront it. And he wants to remove all that stuff from you. He wants to remove the sin and the impurity and all those different things because he knows that you can only find satisfaction in him. Like, think about it. I feel like I say this every time I speak. The God of the universe made you. He created life. He created you. He created how life is supposed to be in the order of life and everything that goes along with it. Don't you think he knows what's best for you? Don't you think he knows that that, you, that, that he knows how you can find satisfaction, how you can find joy, and how you can find love in the, in the deepest, purest form that there is. But obviously we live in such a broken world, and we have our flesh that we're dealing with, and we have sin that we're dealing with, and we have a culture that is just feeding into the lives of the enemy constantly that's saying, no, you need this perfect boyfriend to, to be, you know, perfectly happy. You need these clothes. You need this car. You need this job. You need to travel over the place. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter what you chase after in this world. It's not going to fulfill you the way that Jesus does. It's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to satisfy you the way that you think it's going to. It's a deception. It's a lie. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy you from the inside out. And my prayer is that we would all understand that so that we can live surrendered lives and truly live for him and make a difference in this world because this world is, is passing away very quickly and time is short. I don't know about you, but I want to make a, a difference in this world that lasts for eternity. So like I said, he created, you. he created you. He knows your sin won't satisfy you. Sin deceives us into thinking that we're living in freedom when we're really not. It's, this, it's the enemy at work in his finest form deceiving us, trying to convince us that we're fine. And God, oh, geez, Jesus is trying to get our attention and wake us up from our slumber and show us, no, the things of this world will never satisfy you. You'll be trapped in this cycle forever, thinking that you're okay. And, and here's the thing. Maybe you're listening to me, and you're just like, mm, I don't know, I'm living a life of sin, and I'm having fun. And here's the thing. That's, that's what stinks sometimes. Is that sometimes there's seasons where, okay, it's going kind of good for you. It's temporary. It's temporary. It's going to catch up to you. Your decisions are going to catch up to you. There's consequences to your actions. God will not be mocked. Sin deceives. His word is true. And it will never, ever satisfy us. So just like he confronted this woman, he confronted her because he loved her. Because once again, he was offering her living water, something that would truly satisfy her. And he wasn't afraid to be like, mm, lady, you've had five husbands and the man you're with right now is not your husband. He wasn't afraid to address that, but because he loved her with a deep compassion. Jesus confronts our sin because he loves us. So like I said, true love, the best love ever, it won't make you feel good all the time, but it, it's, it's the best thing for you. Because it changes you and transforms you. His love is so deep that it changes you from the inside out and it makes you more into the person that you were called to be. More into the person that you were created to be. We were created to be people free from sin. That's how God created us. 
That's how Eden was. That's how the Garden of Eden was before the fall. No sin, no suffering, no death, no temptation, none of that. Well, there is temptation because Eve was tempted by the devil, but whatever. But no sin. There was no evil. There was no darkness. That is how we were made to live. And as we follow Jesus, that's how Jesus is going to transform us and bring us into it until he calls us home or until he returns once again. So, so just a quick personal story before we wrap up. So I kind of mentioned this earlier once again, but whatever, my brain's all over the place. But like I said earlier, there's times where Jesus will intervene in your life. He will sometimes allow certain things to happen, or he won't allow certain things to happen in order to get your attention. And I think this is just really important because, like for me, when I was, I'm 29 right now, but when I was graduating high school and I was entering the college, there was a, there was a time, like during that time, where I was trying to figure out my college plans and what I wanted to do with my life and all these different things. Um, there was something that happened where I had, I had all these plans to go to a specific university. I played tennis my whole life. That's what I, that's what I did. Tennis was my God. That's all I did. I, I served tennis. <laughs> served myself by playing tennis. And in one month, I got appendicitis, which put me in the hospital for two weeks. It burst. It was actually a situation where they were like, if you didn't come, if you came any later, you would have died. I'm like, oh, that's great. But whatever. I'm here, so it's fine. Um, God had another story, another plan for me. So I got appendicitis, and it put me out of playing tennis. I missed trials, all these different things. I lost scholarship money I was supposed to receive. And I think some other things happened. My point is, is that my life was completely redirected. I had my eyes set on, okay, this university, this, this team, this college, this experience, and God allowed, God didn't cause it, but he allowed it to happen, for all those things to happen, and completely redirect my life. And here's the thing, he redirected my life, but I had no idea where I was going. And that summer before I started college, I was pissed at God. Sorry, ticked at God. I was so mad at him. I put him on the back burner. I wanted nothing to do with him. I called myself a Christian. I was going to church. I was reading my Bible, but I was still serving myself. And I was so mad at him. And I, I was like, God, I'm doing what I want. I went to like 15 concerts that summer. I blew all my graduation money. I just did my thing. And then the fall rolls around. I start at a different school, and I'm broken, and I'm lost, and I'm like, and I didn't know where else to turn besides back to God because I was desperate and I needed answers. I, I had all this fear for the future. I didn't know where my life was heading. I didn't know what I was meant to do with my life. I, I had all this, this fear in me and depression and worthlessness. And you know what? <laughs> that, that's just one of the best things that could have happened to me because all of those things that happened that redirected my life led me into a situation where I finally surrendered my whole life to Jesus. And Jesus grabbed my heart, and he set my life on a new trajectory. And honestly, the past, whatever, 12 years or whatever, it has been a wild journey of following Jesus, him unveiling plans that I had no idea that he had in store for me. Every single part of my life right now, literally 18, 19, Melissa had no clue that that was even a possibility. My perspective in life, what I thought I wanted for my life, was literally tennis. Like, that's it. And through the past 12 years, I have had opportunities to do things I never thought was imaginable. God gave me this gift to speak. I didn't have this when I was 18. I was shy. 
I was afraid to talk to people. I was never a public speaker. But he developed this gift within me so that, because that's what he had created me to do. And it's, and it's like he's given me a wonderful husband. I'm pregnant now, praise God. It's like there's just like, yeah, there's just like so many. <laughs> I was not planning on telling people. That's why I feel like crap, people. Um, I was not, sorry, I just like told everybody. But like there's just so many there's so many good plans and like so many good things that God has done. And here's the thing. The journey has also been hard. Like, yes, there's been times where I'm like, God, how can I keep going forward? There's been seasons where I have battled with depression as a Christian. Here's the thing. Before I was a Christian, I was depressed and suicidal. Jesus captured my life. There's a joy that infuses your life that you've never known before because you're awakened to this new life that is found in God. But here's the thing. There are some seasons that are really, really hard. And I've battled with depression as a Christian. I've battled with suicidal thoughts as a Christian. Man, I wasn't planning on talking about any of this. I have battled with this stuff, guys. But here's the thing. This is the difference between BC days, before Christ days, and now, is that I'm not walking alone anymore. And that is such a good gift that God has for us, is that there's hope on the other side of it. We're living for eternity. We're living for the things that are not of this world. But here's the thing. I'm not walking alone. And if you're a Christian and you, you've been bought by the blood of Christ, you know what I'm talking about. We don't have to do this alone anymore. We have the Spirit of God within us that helps us every single day. He will help you walk by faith. He will help you overcome temptation. He will help you overcome whatever it is that you're facing. And not for your own personal gain, but to glorify Him. And here's the thing. I don't, I, this is not my quote. I think it's John Piper that said it. But when we most glorify Him, that's where we find the most satisfaction. When we are most satisfied in Him, that's where He gets all the glory. And it's this beautiful just plan that he has that as we surrender, as we die to ourselves more and more, as we're surrendered to Jesus, God receives all the glory, but we receive so much joy in the midst of it because we are made to know him. We were made to walk with him. We weren't made for the things of this world. We weren't made to live for the world and all the things that he has to offer. We were made to know God. And that is the best thing ever. From the best love ever. That's fantastic. So, my final point. (laughs) The best love ever is found in Christ alone. It breaks every boundary. We'll do whatever it takes to to reach you. And we'll change you from the inside out. All right. I feel like I need to keep talking, but I'm done. So we'll close in prayer. (laughs) God, I thank you so much, Lord, for tonight. Lord, I thank you um, for using me showing up, God, for, for your word, for your truth, for your truth that, that changes us, that pierces our hearts, that, that, that shows us what it means to live, what it means to know you, how to walk with you, and just the best love ever, the, the word, God, that reveals the kind of love that you have for us. It's just overwhelming. And Father, I pray, God, That every single person, Lord, if they haven't experienced your love, God, that they would experience it. We shouldn't live our life based off the experiences. But because you're a real God and your presence is real, there are times where we will feel your presence and we will experience your love. And it changes you from the inside out. And God, I'm asking for that for each and every person in this place. And God, if they're struggling, God, with sin or breaking away from the darkness or whatever, God, Lord, it's your love that changes us. We 
let go of sin. And we, we change and we, we allow you to change it. It's you doing the work in us, not us. But we allow it to happen when we experience your love. We love because you first loved us. So God, I'm just asking, I'm begging, I'm praying, Lord, that best love ever that is found in Christ, that you've showed us and you revealed to us on the cross, I pray, God, that it would show up in every single person's life in a real, personal, intimate, detailed way. God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that we don't need to live this life alone. God, that you have died for us, Jesus, that you were raised from the grave, that you gave us your spirit so we don't have to be alone anymore. Lord, wherever people are at, Meet them where they're at, just like the woman at the well. We ask that you come to us, meet us where we're at, and change us from the inside out. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. There you go. Amen. Thank you. Uh, can we just say thank you?